are a little bit loose, a little bit unstrung, and they've probably had a few beers beforehand. Please welcome Matt Crummins and Tom Fancy Pants Putt with yet another episode of Matt and Tom's Excellent Adventure. Well, g'day everybody. This is uh, yet another episode of Matt and Tom's Excellent Podcast. My name is Tom Putt and I'm joined by my fabulous co-host here, Matt Crummins. G'day, Matt. Hi, your voice sounds deeper on the podcast than it does in the intro. Does it really? Yeah. I never I, noticed I'm that. I'm not sure what to do there. Okay, okay. No, but like we'll, the, that intro, when, you, when you're introducing us at the very beginning with the music, your voice is just, no, it's got like a, <laughs> a different like feel a, to it. A sweet blonde sort of tone to it, hasn't it? And I'm not yeah, blonde at all. Yeah, no. Yeah. I mean, yeah. gosh, that was, was that recorded on a Saturday night, was it, Tom? <laughs> After a few beers and <laughs> yep, yep. whatever else you want to say, I, I'm yep. actually I'm, I'm I'm bitterly disappointed that that is in fact still our intro music because you know the intro music that I'd love to have, don't you? I do, yeah. But <laughs> I just feel like it's it's definitely going to change the, not just the vibe but maybe even the topics we would talk about on this podcast. So no, no I've got it here. I've got it here because people don't know what they're talking about. Hold on, let, let's put it on. Let's here. Is this a slow version of the Macarena? Woo! Oh, wow. Mm. So I see where you're going with this, Tom, but it's a no from me. (laughs) (laughs) No from Matt. It's a no from probably everybody else out there listening. A little bit of of a Milli Vanilli moment there yesterday. I even started... Googling them and watching YouTube videos about their history and everything. There's what, what can, little, you've got to tell what, me, like, there's one what, thing to go, hey, I woke up in the morning wanting to hear that music, but then Googling <laughs> their documentaries and the I making know. of, like, what was going I on know. in your head? I don't know. You know me. Yesterday afternoon, I lost it a little bit and I started sending you sound bites of things and you said that I needed some more sleep, which was no doubt true. Yeah. And and let me do you want to, do you want me to fill you in on the Millie Vanilli little backstory for for one minute one minute I promise it won't take up too much time. They actually wanted to be famous singers and they signed a record deal with this guy who. Um, basically was had found these other guys who were the real voices, these other singers, there were five of them, and yet went, no, they're too old, they don't look the part, I really need, you know, like uh, some front men who fit more of the look that I think will be successful. He found these two guys called Rob and Fab, who are Millie Vanilli, and they signed this contract without knowing that, in fact, that they'd be lip-syncing to all this music as opposed to wanting as opposed to singing their own songs or their own That is just weird, man. Why would you yeah, become a yeah. famous singer if you were just like, if someone else was going to be getting all that credit, why yeah. would you, what would be driving you there? Like, can you imagine doing like getting like a photographer going, look, Tom, you're getting on a bit. So let's go get some young buck and we're going to give them <laughs> your memory card and yes. uh, you go out and shoot the photos and then they can go and accept the awards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they got so deep into it, and and that they just they just thought that well, there's no way out. Like, like the lie was just had grown for so long that they went. Wow. We really want to come out and explain the fact that we are not the the real voices behind the music. But they they then they won this Grammy. They said they they basically said if we're, we're not going to win the Grammy, but and that's okay. We'll sort of come out after that, so to speak. And and yet they won the Grammy, and then they were like, oh my god, we are just. The, the, the hole has just been dug ever so deeper. So what anyway, happened? How did, they, fascinating. how did they actually... Well, they obviously got busted. They got busted at a concert because the, the, the playback record um, got stuck and started like just looping. Wow. And then, and then people went, oh, hold on. Okay, so they're lip syncing. So like are they really the singers to the songs because they're not performing the songs live? So what's going on? And then, of course, all these journos did all this investigative work and exposed the producer who'd put the whole thing together. And uh, within, like, two years, they'd been busted. And yet they sold, like, six I million just... records and gone mega famous. Oh. I remember back in my day that they were huge. 
Huge. <laughs> I just, how do you part, think you're going to get away with that though? Like, I'm sorry, but well, there's some good. things this you go, good. look, look, that's a great idea. Like, that'd be a fun joke, a good dare, a good bet maybe even. <laughs> but like going, when the moment that people start buying the music, you'd be like, oh, you know yeah. what? Like, even if you don't have to come out, you'd just be like, oh, look, the band's broken up and we're replacing one of the singers. <laughs> and then like six months later, be like, the other singer left as well. And now they've been replaced with two old blokes. But the music's very similar still. <laughs> Like, surely there's a good way out of that. I don't know. The sad thing was that once they got busted, they actually tried to produce their own record under their own names, and the record producer went bust. They only sold 2,000 copies. And Did you buy – was it to you, Tom? I, of course, I bought 1,000 of them. <laughs> and uh, and the, the, one of the two actually committed suicide um, about eight years later. He went through a whole, you know, spiral depression of, of drugs and alcohol and stuff and wanted to be famous but was no longer famous and saw no wow. way out. Yeah, so I guess, sad story. I guess the uh, the moral of the story, I guess, there is to, if, you, if you're a really good singer, be yourself. Do a Susan Boyle and uh, and just get yourself out there and be famous for who you are. Don't, don't you know? That's it. Well, we need to be able to tie this somehow into photography and perhaps the topic for today. Do you think I'm that? Wait, hold on, hold on. Susan, do you remember Susan Boyle? Yes, do you reckon that? Do you reckon that maybe, just maybe, Susan Boyle is actually like a fifteen-year-old, like really youthful, attractive, <laughs> you know, person? And they were like, you know what? I'm not going to get famous like this because I'm just like everyone else. I might have a good voice, but I got the looks for it too. And yeah, then, no, then all of a sudden no. they're like, no, no, you know what? Let's get Susan Boyle to lip sync, and everyone will be like, oh, whoa, what the hell? And so. You end up going from you know someone who is who who is like in their up and coming you know music career still has like years ahead of them to get this done and and they had to go and and utilize this other person to to have the the, the vision. Probably it's an not. Probably not. Scenario. It yeah. is, no, but then you probably say that about Millie Vanilli at the time as well. It's a long shot, isn't it? You know, mm. to, to take that risk, but no, oh, well, can't think that that would have been done. That's okay. Oh well. Yeah. Well. Oh. So. Um, I guess I guess we could we could tie and segue by saying that geez, they broke all the rules um, <laughs> to, to, to make it in photo- in, in music. Oh, yes. rules photography? What? <laughs> <laughs> what rules? Just go and break them. So last episode we talked about the the sort of three rules to live by, didn't we? Well, our three the- rules that we think people should live by. Well, in yeah, photography yeah. as well, not in general, because there's obviously other rules I'd put in there if it was just life. And if I'd been more organised, I would be sitting here with the piece of paper where I wrote those three rules down. Cause oh, we I shredded my paper. Yeah, <laughs> you shredded it. I've been shredding all the paper you, in my house. Yeah. You just, you just fill in. You just fill in for two seconds. Just, just talk. Well, I can start one. Talk I to can the start. listeners, Matt. Talk to the listeners. Hi, I'm Matt. Um, I do have a rule that I can kick off with whilst Tom scrambles to find three rules that he can talk about. Um, I'll be honest. I don't have a lot of rules that I really despise but I will throw one first one out there that I really dislike um, and I hope Tom can still hear me even if he's not I can talking. just now oh, the good, thing is good. I can't hear you when I go away from the mic because I am um, I've got the earpiece in so it's playing through the headphones that of course aren't attached um. to my head you you my friend talked last episode okay we're about- backtracking a bit team so just don't worry about <laughs> what I just said about the rule of thirds, the negative space, and 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 one over the focal length in order to avoid camera shake. Yeah, they're and my three I like. Talk about carrying a camera with you at all times. To not doubt yourself and to, and to shoot with passion. You went philosophical. I went technical. I you went went practical, and I went philosophical. Mm. And so yeah. what were you telling the uh, listeners as I just uh, raced off there, Matt? Well, I was saying that I don't necessarily have off the top of my head three. I'm sure I'm going to come to three, but I've got one in particular <laughs> that I really, really, really dislike. Um, oh. And actually, you know what? I'm going to say there's three. No, there are three. I've got three. All right. So oh, good, I'll talk about the first one, then you talk about your second one. I'll flesh out in my head the second one. We'll bounce okay. back and forth. Yeah? Okay, we'll go back and forth, back and forth. So I reckon we'll one of the most ridiculous rules, and I'm going to go technical again here, but one of the most ridiculous rules on the planet is the golden ratio. Yeah, right. Well, maybe some people wouldn't. I don't see why that's ridiculous, by the way. But it is so ridiculous. Maybe some people would not understand 
what you're talking about there. So perhaps you better just quickly try and explain it. So the golden ratio is a, is like a really complicated ass version of the rule of thirds that talks about spirals and snail shells and yeah. ratios of things in size. And I think it comes from Da Vinci, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> Something it, and like that. The reason why I think it's ridiculous is not because it doesn't work. It absolutely works. Yes. But it works in retrospect most of the time. <laughs> yes, I, I know what you're like, saying. What photographer yes. has ever gone out there and gone, mm, I yeah. think I'll compose this with the golden ratio. They don't do that. They get home and they go, oh, that's the golden ratio because it just looks good. Yeah. You have a bit of a feel for it, a bit of a gut feel. You probably used a simpler rule like the rule of thirds, something that actually makes sense to remember. Mm. And then you take the shot and you get home and you go, oh, that does actually match the golden ratio. Oh, yeah, that was a golden ratio shot. It's like, well, it, it, you didn't follow the rule. It's just that you happen to have been within the rule when you took the picture. And so I don't think it's ridiculous in in, in what it says or, or or how it looks. It's just totally absurd that most photographers are going to think about it because it is actually ridiculously complicated. Like if you want to do a perfect golden ratio, you'd really need to get a little overlay on your camera screen, like a Perspex (laughs) overlay, and and be able to manipulate every aspect of your environment um, to make it work. So it's a rule that I think that you eventually kind of come to use because it is a very, very good, well-balanced look, and naturally you'll kind of get the flow of balance in your shots. I think as a photographer, Mm. most of us don't specifically look for rule of thirds as an example, but you'd probably find most of our photos follow it. And I think that um, that's because of practice. And I think by the time you get to the point where you could actually understand the golden ratio, you're probably so well practiced in balancing your content that, yeah, most of your photos follow the rule, but you didn't go into it thinking about the rule. Whereas when it's taught, people are, I think sometimes taught like, here's a rule that you should remember, the golden ratio, you should shoot your shots like that. And it's like, well, no. Come off it. That's ridiculous. Yeah, maybe they should create an overlay. Maybe yeah. maybe a camera manufacturer could like like separate themselves from the pack by saying, well, we don't only have the rule of thirds grid overlay on our cameras. We also have mm. the golden ratio. You know, the problem and with that is that I would shit can them so camera. hard. That- <laughs> <laughs> I that's not an Olympus or a Nikon who happen to be sponsors of BFOP. No, I don't think – I think like Olympus has a bunch of different overlays that you can use and I think Nikon do too but none of them as far as I'm aware have the golden ratio and partly because you can rot- you, you can orientate the golden ratio in sort of four different ways depending you can, on you your composition. You can so, turn it upside down or Yeah, or and flip it. It's kind of like yep. underpants. You can wear them four times before needing to wash them. It's sort of like <laughs> front, back, upside down, hey, upside down, front, back. Yeah. I, I can totally sympathize with that. I moved house over the weekend, which was three days worth of packing and lifting boxes and going How did everywhere. you have anything to pack after all the stuff that Mary was selling on bloody Facebook? Jesus. <laughs> I know, I surprised know. surprised you got any belongings left. <laughs> no, we, we shed, we, we, we purge every time we move and just look at something. Well, before it goes in a box, the question has to be asked, have we used this in the last 12 months? Is it likely we're going to use it in the next 12 months? If not, give it away, throw it out or sell it. Oh, please and- tell me you asked whether that brings you joy as well. <laughs> tell me you Mary Kondo'd the crap out of that. <laughs> I did what? You not heard of Mary Kondo or Mari Kondo? No. Oh, What's my that? God, Tom. You can never talk to me about reading important books again. Um, if oh, you've never read Marie Kondo, the art no, is it the um the the art hold on. Oh, now I'm, I'm just having one of those like, you know, those those moments. Yes. Um it is. Oh, come on. Seriously? She's so popular now because this blew up um oh, I think it was last year. Now I she's so popular that when you Google it, it doesn't who... even bring the book up. It's like the art of cleaning or something like that. Marie Kondo. 10 Amazing Tips for Tidying Up with Marie Kondo. Is that no, right? No, 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 no. There's a whole um, – oh, my God. I'm Googling this. Consultant, author, and TV show. Is that right? And you can become she's a written. certified consultant. My God. Oh, um, well, this is this – this is, this is, really – Hold on. Mary will argue that the organization and is not one of my strong suits so no but so she's the um she's got the KonMari method which is of, of to clean up but if i go to her book right. um, this is the one it's actually worth reading i think like i much as i don't like it? books yeah absolutely oh, um you are so metro okay the life-changing magic of tidying up the japanese art of decluttering an organization yes that's it i like it um, okay so, yeah uh it is definitely um, something that you should 
check out Tom because you know what? Like you don't have to be organized. <laughs> the whole point is you don't have to be organized to read it. You have to be disorganized to read it. Right. And, um, and when you do, it's she's got this whole thing about like I've just I've just got a, I've just got onto somebody else who's like she's a blogger who's the eight lessons from de- from the learned from the decluttering Bible being Marie Kondo's book. Number one, um, it's like you it pick it up and doesn't categories, not rooms. Yeah, listen yeah. to respect your belongings. Mm. Lesson three, nostalgia is not your friend. Mm. Quite true. Throw out all that shit that no one else gives a crap about. Yep. Purging feels so good. Lesson five, folds don't hang. Right. Mm. Um, you know what we you know what we do? Library computers. Our house. Oh, we, right, we sorry. Go, we for a second. Sorry. When we come to fo- when we come to move our houses, there's a load that goes into the back of my van that I used to deliver artwork normally, and we get everybody's coat hangers out of their wardrobes and simply just carry them down the stairs, one hand either side, and just lay them flat, chuck them in the back of the van. And so we end up with a pile high of clothes or a couple of piles high of clothes. And then when we get to the other end, all we do is just grab those coat hangers and hang them in their respective wardrobes. You know, That's pretty you, I'll tell you what, there are some cool hacks with that. I've seen people who, who do that, but they put a garbage bag over the top of it to keep them grouped together. Ah, that's clever too, um, but, you see. Because we, we kind of started mixing coat hangers and stuff and then you're kind of like pulling it out and you've got half of mine and half of Mary's or, and I don't know which is which, you know, half well, the Tom, time. You know. <laughs> yesterday you were telling me how bored you were by sending me like 5,000 music clips of Millie Vanilli. Um, I wasn't bored. I was just, I was just, well, I was in okay. a creative streak. I was in a yep. creative streak. Okay, <laughs> cool. That's That's great. I'm going to say bored. But um, what you could do this week for me is I want you to read the Marie Kondo magical life-changing thing of tidying up, right? right? Yeah. And then next and? week in our podcast, mm. I reckon we we talk, how can you marry Kondo your Lightroom catalogue? This is it. <laughs> the magical oh art my God, I love of tidying it. up. Yes, with, no. With um, with Tommy Crummo. That, <laughs> that is a stroke of genius on your behalf, Matt Crummins. I well, really you know, like that. I just had a smoothie really with like lots that. of berries in it, so maybe it's all that berry brain juice, you know? Oh, good on you. I yeah, even had cinnamon in it. So anyway, oh, back to our rules, Tom. <laughs> back um, to our topic for so, today. <laughs> so I'm saying that um, that that my one that I hate the first one is the golden ratio. I think it's it's not something you should go out there to try and learn. It's something that you know over time you'll end up seeing it. And you'll go, oh yeah, that makes sense, and and you'll probably implement it subconsciously, yeah. but never go out there to try and implement it on the spot because that's just kind of dumb. I think just to clarify for those who perhaps aren't familiar with the golden ratio, I actually knew it as the golden mean. And I think they're one and the same. So that, I, just I think so. I've also, there's, um, it's, also it's, the other one was like the golden triangle, I think they, it's been called as well, even though it's not a triangle, but you can triangulate the image in a similar way. To be Googling golden shower or anything like that, but golden triangle, no, I think, that, is yeah. another one. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So um, I guess that m- moves me on to my rule, which I, I have I have none of. Um, <laughs> so, Matt, if you could transition into number two very quickly, that will just help with my – because you seem to be on a bit of a roll and I'd hate well, to interrupt. I think the word that I would use is you seem to be a bit of an organisation person, an organised person, <laughs> not a Tom who, who consistently turns up and says, what's the topic? Um, I tell you what, I, I tell you what <laughs> – this is your, so your portion of the talking in this is just going to be this, you making excuses. <laughs> You're like Donald I'm, Trump in, in this situation. You're just like, I know what I'll do. I'll just talk about I'm everything saying, relevant really loudly. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. And then it sounds important and they go, geez, Tom was making a lot of sense today. He yeah. said a lot without saying much at all. Yeah, all of a sudden no one wants a vaccine. Like everyone's like, no, no. Yeah, you could could be a politician. So you were saying something that was of importance and relevance. Sorry, I I think it was, but I'm 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 just racking my brains to see how it can tie into the topic for today. But (laughs) I'm one of these people. Quality content brought to you by Tom Putt. (laughs) I think (laughs) this is it. I get distracted very easily, and I think that's the problem with creatives that they try and. They, they, they're always chasing the next shiny object. Aren't oh, yeah. They? Well, and, yeah. And you've got to help me out here, Matt. And with that, I think, you know, 
this this rule that you have to niche. Let's. I'm going to turn this into something here, Matt. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. This, yeah. This, this this idea that you have to find your niche or niche, as the Americans call it. I've just I like discovered niche. recently. Sounds like a small niche. creature. Sounds, sounds like something. <laughs> it would, sounds like, sounds like, sounds like something you have in your hair. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The kids yeah. bring home from school. Yeah. You're like, oh god, I got to shave their heads. I got niches again. <laughs> <laughs> Romper stumper style. Um, so, so I think I think um, you know this this rule that people or this 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 belief in mind that you have to niche in order to be good at something in particular. I think photographers get hung up on that very early in their careers, regardless of whether it's amateur or professional. So, mm. I'm not I'm not a big one on that one because I'm hearing a lot of that lately, where people are like, I'm not sure what my niche is. Yeah, and it's like, oh, hold on, guys. Let's just take a step back for a minute. It took me. I mean, I've always been interested in landscapes because I love the environment, I love the outdoors. But to be honest, in in the, probably the last five years is probably where I've really found my niche, which is you know aerial abstract landscape photography. I really think that sings to me creatively. Um, but that's fifteen years after I started photographing, you know, seriously and professionally. So. That might not come to you straight away. So I think this hard and fast rule that you have to try and find your niche and specialise in that and that's how you're going to make a name for yourself. Look, let's face it, not everyone's going to make a name for themselves in their photography nor want to because they're just happy being creative and playing around with it. Now, what you do are, in that case, you just you just start a podcast with someone who has and just piggyback <laughs> off their success. That's the, that's the key. This is it. This is it. And I'm just waiting for Hugh Jackman to walk through the, the door of the gallery here so I can stand alongside him with one of my photographs in the background and I can claim Ooh. to be famous. There you go. Well, so, okay, I'm going to I'm gonna build on what you just said there. Just yeah, to please do. Help it. Yeah, put some so meat I on like, my bones. I like the fact – I like this one as a rule that you don't need – it's not so much a rule almost – well, it is a rule, I guess, because some people would actually – we are talking about stupid rules and I think that you'll find, as you say, a lot of photographers would use that as a rule. They would say like, oh, you've got to find your niche, you've got to specialise in something. And so, again, yours is a bit more philosophical than it is, um, you know, straight up I'm a, pra- I'm a deep practical. Thinker. You I'm are a deep, deep thinker. thinker. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Or you're just like cobbling stuff together from the from the, the basement <laughs> of your brain. But, um, <laughs> previous, previous podcast. <laughs> but um, I reckon that um, – there's a really uh, interesting thing I was listening to the other day. So I quite enjoy listening to, I'm not going to say motivational talks on on um, YouTube because I think a lot of them are kind of just like a bit macho-y. But there's one in particular that I'd like. It's a commencement speech from Matthew McConaughey. And right. he talks about the difficulty of when he's talking about people leaving, um, you know, graduating college or university or whatever. But it sort of suits what you're talking about because he, he says it's people don't wake up knowing who they are. But it's very it's not, it's very hard to know who you are, and I think as a photographer, it's very hard to find a niche. You end up kind of just like throwing darts at a dartboard and hoping you know you, you hit. But what he says is very easy: is knowing what you're not. So mm. the first part of understanding what what it is that you want to be is to find out first. Well, what aren't you? And then eventually mm. you're going to narrow it down to what you are. And I think mm. that in your photography and what you're talking about with your rule, it's it's kind of the same. Like maybe the rule is to sort of flip that mentality and go, look, you don't have to have a niche, but start broad. And also, as a second part, don't photograph crap you don't want to photograph. Like yes. if you don't get any joy out of taking photos of people, yes. don't try and force it. Don't make don't do it. it. Like, just get rid of it and go, cool, I've narrowed down. So my niche will eventually get there. For you, it took 15 years. For me, gosh, I don't even know when that's going to happen. But like I still do a lot of different stuff. I know where my niche probably is in wildlife and things, but yeah. every day that I pick up a camera, which is these days not as frequently as I'd like, but every day I do pick it up and I photograph something different, I do really ask myself the question like a bit of Marie Kondo here as well. Did it bring me joy? Like did I actually really enjoy doing that or mm. did I do it because I felt obliged or do I do it because I didn't have anything else at the time you know in lockdowns it's a bit difficult but but maybe use your rule to narrow down what it is that you do want to do as opposed to just picking something out and say I'm going to charge at that target because if you get you know five years down the track and realize that that was the wrong target you know you, you really are going to probably feel like you wasted a lot of time yep yep agreed so, excellent yeah well so, done man I'm going, to, I'm going to put my second rule in place, which is a bit around what you're talking about as well. Mm. And I'm going to say in photography, be brutal. 
So I don't like the rule of, you know, um, keep everything and oh. you know, treat everything really kindly. I'm oh, going to say we're going to clash here. We are, we are, and that's okay. Yeah. We've talked about this before a little bit, but I'm going to say okay. that be, be brutal and don't be a perfectionist. You know, I get it. If you're selling prints that are massive and they're going to go into someone's house, yep, be a perfectionist. Comb through it with a fine tooth comb. Um, but um, if you're going to be doing Facebook posts and things like that, um, I would probably encourage you to throw out the rule around everything's got to be perfect. Um, because especially in the the type of medium that people are going to see it, a lot of those small imperfections that you know probably don't have any real impact on the on your actual photograph, um, you know, unless it's blown up really big and people are inspecting it, they're probably not going to detract from from your actual initial image. So, I I, I don't have anything against posting content that's that's less than perfect. Um, whereas I know a lot of people try and follow the whole you know only publish the absolute absolute cream of the crop. Um, and I'd also say part of that is um, I know you like to preserve pretty much everything and archive it all, um, but I would say that for your average photographer, if you go and take, say, 30 versions of the exact same scene, so I'm not saying you could delete everything you don't publish, but, you know, it's not unusual to have your camera on your tripod, photograph the same scene with different combinations of settings or slightly different variations in light and stuff. Mm. Uh, or, or maybe very small adjustments to a composition. But, uh, you know, if you have, ask the average person, is this the same shot? They'd be like, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. The reality is you're only ever going to use one of those. You're never going to publish, you know, in two years' time, go, oh, I just discovered this other photograph that I haven't published. And it's like, you know, within two centimetres of composition, it's, it's exactly mm. the same. Yeah. So, so get rid of some of that to make the, the star photos really sort of shine out a little bit more. You know, delete, yeah, I, you've got 30 versions of something. Keep Maybe keep two. One as a backup in case you notice something was dramatically wrong with the other. But well, this is it. Yeah. you don't need 30 versions of the same scene. No, no. And, and as you um, develop in your photographic career, whether it be amateur or professional, doesn't matter, um, you will learn to actually, I would hope you'd learn to, to shoot less and be more um, purposeful about what you shoot and not have to shoot as many pictures as you mm. probably do. And yeah. that will mean that that whole process of editing will become probably more enjoyable and obviously not take as long. I, I This is probably transitions into next week's uh, topic, which we've already um, <laughs> announced about um, tidying up your Lightroom catalogue, is, is all about the fact that I don't like to delete because I don't want to go through all the pictures and painstakingly decide whether or not I should keep it or delete it. So in my mind, being able to go through your Lightroom catalogue and just choosing your favourites and then not worrying about the rest means that you can just focus on finding the, the little nuggets of gold in the, in the, in the pan as opposed to um, worrying or not whether or not you're throwing out the, perhaps little specks of gold when you're checking out the stuff that you, the, you don't really like or think is a waste or think is excess so um that's my my reason for for not deleting photographs just a time factor more than anything else but of course as i said before reason excuse whatever (laughs) (laughs) if you shoot less you're so mean to me if you shoot less well there's less um there's less uh you know indecision is there there's kind of well i've only got two shots of it so like they'll have to do yeah Mind you, I have been in a situation and I, I kind of, when I hear myself talk about these things, I also find myself in my head contradicting myself and going, no, you didn't remember that time you did this. And I, <laughs> I went to the Hawaii Ironman Triathlon years ago when I was in my start of my sports photography career. I think it was 1997. Yes, it was. And one of the Australian um, athletes, Chris Lee, his name is, um, collapsed just before the finish line. And we saw him crawling on his hands and knees and we, we being Deli Carr and I, who were the two sort of Australian photographers at this event, and we bolted out of the photography stands behind the finish line and we raced up through the crowd um, in order to, to photograph him. Now, Deli jumped the fence and got sprung by the officials. I wasn't so brave to do that. I just stayed in the crowd and I shot through the crowd and I shot one or two frames of him crawling along the ground. And with his parents either side and his wife and it was it was traumatic right i totally he, he had no idea where he was like he was totally dehydrated and i shot like two frames and i sent one into the age because they did an article and this was in the days of transparencies of slides and they lost the slide 
so I had no copy of it. And I just remember talking about it with Delhi, and he goes, well, look, they can compensate you, but by the same token, you still lost that photo. So, like, when you get into that situation again, just make sure you just blast the crap out of it and shoot a whole roll of film on it, okay? And I went, yeah, right, okay. <laughs> Okay, next time I'll do that. I was just being ultra conservative and I don't know why. I was just like, yeah, I was probably just trying to be a perfectionist and get that ultimate, you know, shot. Yeah. Right? And uh, I just didn't shoot enough of it because in a digital world, of course, that's great because you can just make, we're not, we're not, we can make copies of stuff. But in the transparency world, when you lose a slide, you lose a slide. So yeah. that's Anyway, number. So you're number two. My number two. <laughs> don't put me on the spotlight. Don't put yeah. me on the spot like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, my number two. And, you know, moves. I mean, it, it might be really aptly <sighs> named because if this is a bad one, maybe this this rule, this this next part that you're about to talk will just smell like a number two. So. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I'm with you there. I'm with so, you there. Right, right. So step up or I'm going to have to go to three. Well, you can go to three, and I'll come back with two and three. No, I just, I just feel I want to put you under the pressure a little bit. I know you, know? you are putting me under the pressure. My brain think, is not. For those who, for those who are disappointed in Tom's lack of effort, um, I mean, at the end of the day, he's here to serve you, and this is how he's serving you. Um, just, just leave a comment on the Facebook page, and maybe just ask him to, um, you know, I don't know, dedicate a little bit better, more time to you. Better prepare to the podcast each week because really, you're wasting people's time otherwise. Mm. But time is precious. Time is money. Yeah, the second the second rule that we can disregard in photography. All right, so my one for the third rule. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you didn't even give me time. It was right on the edge. I was just about to come out with some absolute gold, and you just cut me off. Cut for me someone who for someone who used to compete in triathlons, you'd know that seconds count, right? You know, so yes, they do. True. So my third one, whilst you think about your second and third one, <laughs> is um, is actually about backing up. I'm going to be yeah, a little what's, con- what's, little controversial what's, here. Oh, God. Go I on. know, right? You've got to be a little controversial. So I am all about backing up. Don't get me wrong. I love – yeah, I don't on. love backing up. Backing up actually is like really boring. But it's really, really important. I've seen so many people come to me over the years, um, even before I was doing sort of like my classes and things when I worked at Olympus and before that even, and they'd, they'd be like, oh, I don't know. My hard drive just didn't boot up. It's just not booting up. It's making a funny ticking sound or it's this or it's that. And I'm like, yeah, well, it's stuffed. Where's your backup? And they're like – Oh, that was my backup. So, where's your right. original? And they say, "Oh, well, what?" <laughs> and so, um, <laughs> you know, all right, then, I deleted it off um, my computer the other day because it was full. Pretty much, pretty much. So, mm. the thing that you've got to remember here with backing up, though, is that it needs to be practical. So, the point of backing up is not just because it's meant to be ritual. The point of backing photos up is so that if something goes wrong, you don't lose too much. And I also think that in backing up processes, people make them very complicated. So I know a lot of people use automated backup software and they've got two different drives and they're plugged in and they're this and and like everything's, um, I know that actually sounds like a really basic setup, two drives plugged in, but like (laughs) they do a pretty convoluted or complicated process and and, and they're not always necessarily super organized with their photos on their computer. So backing them up can be a bit of an ordeal. And the old adage, like if it's not broken, don't fix it. Um, sometimes if you back up just because, I don't know, you got told you should back up regularly, if you haven't changed anything, there's no point in backing it up again. That just opens mm. up the, a, a potential issue. Um, you know, if it's not broken and there's nothing more to back up, don't just back up for the sake of it. So my uh, rule here that I'm going to say I don't like is this constantly backup rule, you know, like do a weekly backup. Well, if you didn't go out shooting this week and there are no new photos, there's no point yeah. in re-backing it up. It's already backed up. All you're doing is is putting a, a fail point in your system. And right. the way that I do this is um, unless it's a client shoot that's really important. Um, so, you know, if, if it's a client shoot, I'll back that up straight away. But I won't necessarily do it as my normal backup process. So what I might do is um, I'll download my images from the card and then until I do my main backup, I'll just leave, make sure that card's not formatted. So that card will sort of go into like a, I guess, a different location, like in a drawer or something like that. That's yeah. okay. That's the that's kind of the backup, like the absolute master backup in case something goes wrong. But I'm not going to go and back my whole system up just because I did one shoot. Um, so I do full backups, you know, probably every month or two. 
um, right. depending on how frequently I'm out shooting. Obviously, if I'm out shooting a lot, then I might do it, um, you know, more frequently. But um, as long as I've got cards to kind of keep cycling through, I think that sometimes doing whole system backups, unless you're really savvy with it, um, that can actually introduce more fail points um, if you're doing it too regularly. So you do want to make sure there's always a backup, but it doesn't have to be that big master backup of literally everything. Um, right. And, and I would say that particular software for that in order no, to automate have, all of that, or are you just dropping and dragging? Nah, I hate software backup software because right. it, when you have automations, you don't know what's going on, and yep. all it takes is one thing to go wrong, and you thought it was backed up properly, or you thought you'd been doing it correctly this whole time, and then when you actually need it, you realize, oh, you hadn't checked that little box that was the, <laughs> you know, the one that you were supposed to check. So um, my catalog is actually based um i make sure that every single photograph that i ever take sits within a subfolder in one big folder called raw images right right so everything sits under one folder ultimately yeah um, now i know that's got its own dangers for those who are tech people but i do back it up um, and for a backup for me i don't need to think oh hold on have i backed up this part of my drive and that part of my drive i literally copy yep. and paste that folder Yep. Over the last backup. All oh, right, the whole big raw file folder. Mm, one huge folder. And it's just like literally everything in there. I don't have to go, oh, did did it capture every file? Was there an error at any point or anything? It's like it's copying and pasting. And if there's an it's, error, it's the whole thing copying, just stops. It's not it's not copying over the whole folder again though, is it? Uh, is it I usually only updating it with the new photos or is it No, so what I normally do because this is why I don't do it every week. I don't actually right. paste over the top of it. So what I actually do is put it in like a little folder next to it so it doesn't paste over the top. I mm-hmm. make sure there's a full backup done and then I delete yep. the old backup. Right. So it kind yeah, of takes so out that if something went wrong, backup. I've still got yeah. two versions of it. But um, yep. I do and I do – I replace all the old pictures as well because, again, um, it's one of those things like if you're selective about it, sometimes you're going to forget you know, what was, you know, did you back this up? Did you back that up? And maybe it's different for you as well, Tom, like you've been shooting in a professional sense uh, much longer than I have. Um, so, and you don't delete as many photos. Um, yeah. So my catalog is an example. Um, I think I've got, uh, it's like eight terabytes worth of images that I keep. Right. Um, and so eight terabytes backing up on good speed hard drives still takes a couple of hours. Um but if I'm only doing it every couple of months, that's not a problem. If you had, you know, 30 terabytes of images, yeah, okay, you might want to start thinking about like there's sort of archive <laughs> level backups um, where, you know, you obviously wouldn't have touched anything. You know, if 2019's already passed, you only need to back up what's happened in 2020. But for yeah. me personally, um, you know, I try to keep it cleaner or, or more minimized in Lightroom. So I'm never having to back up. You don't have millions of images to back up. I think I've got... Um, I think I'm just over my catalog. It's 152,000 images. Um, yep. That includes like a lot of personal photos and iPhone shots and stuff as well. Yep. So yep. Um, if I look at my no, other stuff, yeah. yeah, it's probably half of it is made up of shots that I really, you know, of interest. Half, you know, a third of it is corporate and commercial shoots, um, some of which they get deleted after a period of time. And then, yeah, then there's a bunch of other. Mm. you know, day-to-day shots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Which is which is just put a little uh, nugget in my head for next week's uh, topic regarding tidying up your Lightroom catalogue because mm. um, probably many of the listeners tend to forget that they do probably take a few snaps with their iPhone when they go on their travels mm. and then don't download them into their Lightroom catalogue to go with the photos from that trip. Yeah. Which is something that's important as well. It's danger. When I when I get well, a people tend to not back up their iPhones. Firstly, yeah. and then lose them or drop them in the toilet or whatever. And then secondly, um, the fact that when I oh, when I was doing my weekly presentations, um, still am that I I often reference and use a lot of those iPhone photos because they're the behind the scenes shots that people want to see as yeah. well because they help yeah. tell the story as opposed to just the five-star favourites that look amazing, but really they don't tell some of the, the more quirky things that go on when you go on your travels, for example. That's it. So, Good yeah, point. 100%. So don't, don't waste all the content for next week or next week you'll be like, oh, I'm not prepared again. You should, say, you should bank um, all this next stuff. Week, you are not going to be able to get a word in next week. <clears throat> in fact, I might try and stretch next week's podcast over three episodes. 
wow. I'll have that much content. I'm just going to just blow everyone out of the water. I did come up with two rules, by the way. While you Good. You, you've got six oh, minutes. <laughs> six minutes to six get through minutes. two rules. Well, that's okay. They're probably not that important that we should give them any more than six minutes anyway. <laughs> Let me guess. Rule number two, always be prepared. <laughs> rule number two, I'm going on a little bit of a, a different slant to you as always rule number two is around websites and selling your artwork there's a rule out there or there's a belief out there that if you're a photographer regardless of whether you're amateur or professional and you want to sell your work that if you get a website up well that's your your road to success which is that's not true (laughs) i wish it was oh my god the number of hours years that i've spent on my website, which is tompuck.com for everyone who hasn't visited it yet, um, trying to get that right and hoping that I'll get sales is just ludicrous. Like the money at the time I could have spent marketing that website rather than building it and trying to make it look perfect and fiddling around with it every five minutes is unbelievable. So it's a fallacy that if you think that you're going to build a website, throw some of your favorite photographs on there and make some sales out of it, that's unfortunately not going to happen. It's got to be something that you need to um, market just like any other business that Mm. it doesn't do well just by, uh, you know, renting a retail space and throwing open the doors and saying, hey, here I am. If it was that easy, um, every business would succeed rather than fail. As do you think as well? Do. Do, you, do you think you could like really expand that rule to sort of say like just because you are, are wanting to be you know get take your photography more seriously as well, you, you don't have to sell prints to be you know a good or recognised photographer? Is that I reckon selling goal? prints is one of the hardest things to do if you're going to yeah. be a, a photographer wanting to make money out of the. But, but the, it's not essential either, is it? Like you wouldn't no, judge no, someone not. on whether they sell prints or not, surely. No, 100% not. Oh, good. I'm going to take my <laughs> store you, down. Bloody are you hell. hinting towards something or are you just saying that as a general comment? No, 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 no. It's just a general oh, no. comment. I think, no, because no, it's, it's, it's you do. You, no everyone, have you, I don't know if you've noticed recently, but like a lot of our colleagues who are professional photographers, um, you know, they do things like, you know, calendars and whatnot, which I totally yes. agree with. They're professionals. They have a following. They're people who want to see their shots. But I also then look around um, a lot of the groups and there's a lot of very amateur, uh, very good amateur. Amateur is not a bad word here. Amateur just means not professional, but very, very good amateurs. Yes. Um, still, also still producing confident. and selling calendars and puzzles and stuff like yes. that. And they're trying to really flog these things online. And I mean, I get it, and and no, not saying you shouldn't do it, but I don't think anyone should ever feel as though if you're not got, if you're not selling prints, when your friends go, oh, you should sell your prints, that yeah. that's not a you should sell your prints. That's a compliment <laughs> that you go, yeah, yes. I've, you know what, I've thought about <laughs> it, but I actually really enjoy this, and there's other ways that I share my work. You know, <laughs> this is this is true. I, I've never been a big calendar fan, by the way, because I just think uh, a you've generally got to order and sell a lot of them in order to make any sort of money out of them. And B, you have a limited shelf life. So if you don't sell them within a few months, obviously once uh, 1st of January ticks over, they're, they're pretty much worthless. And so you can end up with a whole lot of books or a whole lot I of think boxes this, in your garage. This year I've started hating calendars more than ever. Well, this year I'm like, I, I don't want to ever this remember this it. year. <laughs> this, well, the thing is, Matt, every year we go to uh, Kiki K, the stationery store, and buy the family calendar because it's the only calendar we can find that we can create seven columns from and put what everybody in our family is doing and where they're at. You know, are they at our home this week? Are they at, you know, the partner's home this week? What sporting activities do they have on? What have you? And I went and bought one this year and it's been pretty much blank for the whole year. I haven't yeah. used it because there there's just been nothing on, obviously, with COVID, etc. <laughs> Rule number three, transitioning in, I'm glad you asked, Matt, with yeah. just a few minutes left, was around printing your own work. I was looking around my gallery here this morning and admiring all the beautiful artwork, of course, and, uh, and I, there's this fallacy or rule that – that people should print their own work. And and it's often asked of me when they come in here, they go, oh, so you uh, you print all of this work, do you? I go, no way. Why would I waste my time? The problem, <laughs> people, I think, do you find this, Matt? Do you find that the photographers, I'm going to get into, I'm going to print some of my work. You know, I'm going to go out and buy a printer and all the rest yeah. of it. Yeah. Like, Good luck that. to you because that, that printer's going to cost you a couple of grand and then you're yep. going to go out and buy the paper for a few hundred bucks and then, mm-hmm. oh, hold on, you've wasted a whole lot, lot of ink trying to get the printing right because it's too dark, it's too light, the colours aren't right, yep. et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> um, 
the printer stopped halfway through the print, so that's fucked. Oh, so and you've got to, you've also got to flush the ink um, the ink every tube every month, it, yeah, every which is about a fifty dollar exercise. Yeah, that's it. So that's <laughs> a, if you don't know what we're talking about, Google that as well. And you know, there's there's been a study that said that the ink in um, those printers is more expensive than ounces of gold. Yeah, and it just becomes such a costly exercise and frustrating more than anything else. I mean, it it really does take a professional generally to set up a printer at home properly so that you can get the results that you want. So I would argue that most people who do printing, (laughs) they are not people who love photography and got into printing. They're people who love printing and they print other people's work. Like it is actually a, it is a, it's It's an art. um, Yeah, it is actually is an art in itself. Like people are known for their printing. Like you go to that person because they are, they are just so good at getting it right. And and you think that sounds ridiculous. Sure. It's just a file. Like I go to Officeworks and that. There's so many aspects of that. No way. God, don't take it to Officeworks or Big W or Harvey Norm or anything like that. But, But, you know, I, I think I think of Simon Olding down in Tassie. He's very well known for his master printing. Um, Darren mm-hmm. Roker here at CPL Digital in South Melbourne. It's been printing my work for twenty years. Um, you know, there's yeah. there's others. And so, if you're wanting to know um, where to go to print your artwork, uh, print, make some prints either to sell or to put on your own walls. Um, we'll put those in the show notes on the Facebook yeah. group. Um, do you have anyone that you swear by, Matt? With so I don't do a huge amount of printing, to be honest. I do I do my own prints. I I've actually started selling prints in the last couple of weeks, but I've just used Redbubble because um, right. I actually bought a print off um, one of our colleagues um, from Redbubble, and I really thought the print quality. Um, it's not like master print quality as in like mm. you're not getting that personalized service. But I thought that it um, it is a very good version of commercial printing, like just mass right. printing. Yeah. Um, so I've started selling through there. But when I do, I have done in the past some big prints for people and I do a lot of our own artwork in our house. And uh, I use a place called, I've started, I should say, to use a place called Thirds Printing. They're in Brunswick. Right. Um, they're a y- really young, very hipster team. Like you need to go in there with a, a man bun if you want to get noticed. <laughs> but, um, and a sorry um, chai latte. Yeah, basically. Um, right. But the cool thing was that I went in there with a request. So I was doing one of my prints is like a, 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 a it's a, basically a cave filled with sharks and it's a big, Ooh. deep black and white and it looks really yes. cool. Um, but shot, I love it. Yeah, so I went in there and said, look, I want this and I want it on a matte paper um, and I want it this, this is what I'm going to do with it. And they turned around and said, why mm. would you do this on matte? And I was like, well, because I don't like that gloss you get. It's kind of, it actually creates specular highlights through my shot that it's that mm. I don't want them, you know. And he said, look, uh, why, don't, why don't you do a test, some test strips and I'm thinking, oh, this is going to get expensive. Oh, yeah, here end, we go. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, okay, let, let's do that then. And um, no. in the end, it was a 54-inch print across, I think. So it's pretty decent. Um, yeah. No, hold on. 54. No, it can't be 54. It's it's about a metre wide-ish, right. a metre and yeah, a bit wide. Inches, yeah. Um, yeah, so it's it's relatively large. Um including the test strips and a consultation where they sat down with me in front of their, you know, calibrated Ooh. ASO monitor and said, Ooh. okay, this is this is what we want to do. You know what, we're going to pull your blacks up a little and we're going to do this because mm. paper we're printing it on and yada, yada. And I went and picked up the test strips uh, about five days later. They gave me four different strips of, of two of the papers that I liked and three they recommended. And yep. in the end, they were dead on. Like the the print, the paper that I chose um, – Everything just got lost in like matte paper. Blacks go really deep, and right. um, and lost all the details. And so I ended up taking their advice. And in the end, the whole experience of getting this print done, including the print and the paper, was about hundred and fifty bucks. Which yep. was, I'm like, you go to some of the bigger camera shop and shops, and you ask them for a print that size, and it's a mass print that literally goes into their little kiosk and just gets spat out the other end, and it costs yep. you more than that. So these guys, yeah, I thought, were really cool. They're in like a warehouse. You've got to know the the red door to knock on. It's um, it's like one of those. <laughs> no, seriously, it's like in an alleyway <laughs> really? that you know you've got to know where you're going. And um, yeah, right. But yeah, thirds. So um, I don't know. I'm like I've only had a couple of experience, yeah. couple yeah, of experiences right. with them. So I'm not going to vouch for them as though like you know I've used them forever. But the experiences mm. I have had were really good. Yeah, 
that sounds. And like I an thought very affordable for the average person. Like I don't think most of our listeners would would balk at paying, a, you know, even up to a couple of hundred dollars for a very large print. So um, no, no, hundred yeah. percent. And and yeah. you know, the the point of the, the story is, or the moral of the story is that um, often it's more frustrating and far more costly to print your own work. Only do it if you if you have time to figure it all out. The 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 pockets, the deep pockets, in order to do that. And mm. you're going to love the process because it is a process. Yeah, and it? the process it's, is you've got to be you've got to love technical stuff and reading technical yeah. documents to get it right. And yeah. even then, you've got to interpret those into an artistic version. I agree with you entirely. Um, it's I think it's. I'd say did it's I the worst the investment. Did I do all right, Matt? After failing okay. Dick Millie for the, first, I did okay. <laughs> you did okay. Uh, you I did get a okay. Pass. A pass. You, you know, no, I'll give you better. Than, I'll give you a B minus. There you go. A B minus. A That's B probably minus. better than what I used to get at school. You, you, probably would have got like, you probably would have got an A for those if you hadn't let on the fact that you had no planning. It's just that <laughs> no content. If I'd said it's to almost, Matt, come to me at the end because I'm, I'm, I'm just formulating these concepts that are going to blow you out of the water. Yeah. yeah I right. see. I, I think, need to talk myself up next time. This feel this to me feels a little bit like at school where they go, show you're working. And like <laughs> you end up getting the right answer, but the teacher's like, how the hell did you get to that answer? They look at you working and they're like, Oh look! I mean, it was correct. You got it right, but geez, you are way off track. Like, yeah. <laughs> so your working needs some effort. You know, happened to Kiara. She got taught a maths problem, and she did it a different way in the test, and she got marked down for it, even though that was the correct answer. And oh, Mary wow. blew up and and said, "But she oh. got the right answer." And they said, "Yeah, but they didn't use the method that we taught." And they're like, she can get extra points because she's actually come up with her own method that she understands better than the crap method that you taught. Oh, that's hilarious. Come on. It was just ridiculous. She's like, yeah, I did really well in that mass test. I I think I got most of it right. And she got this one question wrong and that was it. You know what I love about it? I I would just hate to be on the receiving end of Mary's rage in that situation. Like I could – that's probably a reason why – I wouldn't. I would never probably become a teacher in a school in case <laughs> I hit that the situation. Ugly, the ugly parent syndrome. Oh my god! Yeah. But I reckon she'd just be really good at it. Like she would just be like almost. I, I think it would be an impenetrable fortress. You couldn't argue with that. I don't think. This like, is why. I'm not saying this that in a bad way. Like Mary's, you know, nasty. <laughs> just like she's just. You know what? You want to see a strong will. Um. You know. I. I've. She she's uh, she's definitely got that. So uh, and and, uh, Italian, and she's and when she's correct way. and when you're <laughs> yes. correct, it's different because you don't get the whole like oh yeah no maybe I'm wrong so I'll think about that. It's like no, oh, oh, no. she was actually answering. She was on the right track there. So oh, you no. know what? Oh no, she's oh, not. Yeah, there's she, danger, no, she's danger, right. danger. Yeah. She's right. And uh, <laughs> the, to back that up, Matt, she actually studied um, a law degree as well. Oh, so there you go. She studied so, law as part of her business uh, mm. commerce degree. So she has a fascination with law and and so that will just back up what you've just said there earlier. Yep, yep. She's a force <laughs> to be reckoned with, that young lady. There you go. Well, look, it's been excellent one. It's again, I've no doubt come with all the content and you've put in very little effort. So thanks for that, Matt. I appreciate Standard. that. Standard. <laughs> We've gone overtime again. I was looking at the clock at the 11-minute mark and we'd already started our content and I was really worried that we weren't going to get there. But as the as the, as the the title or the or the subtitle, I should say, of our podcast says, random, random rumblings, say that after a few beers, um, you know, we've, we've, we've lived and proven that today. So thanks very much for uh, jumping on board, everybody. And thanks to you, Matt. And we will catch you... On oh, the and subscribe, episode. subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Subscribe, listen, share this with your friends. If you're getting value out of it, tell somebody this week that you've enjoyed this podcast. Tell a stranger. Tell a stranger. <laughs> Complete just, stranger. If you're like, just, look, do you want to be in my, my bubble of 10 at the moment and we can listen to this podcast together? We can yeah. sit in a park. Meet meet yeah. a new friend and, and, and form that bond with our podcast. We need to be doing everything we can here in Melbourne to re-establish the bonds and belief in humanity and that's just a perfect way to go out and do that this week. Well done, Matt. little nugget of gold there right at the end. Thank you. Thanks, guys, for listening to yet another episode of Matt and Tom's Excellent Podcast and we'll catch you next time. Cheers. Bye. Bye.